Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Today is Friday, June 2nd, 2023, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network, live from Atlanta. Vice President Kamala Harris details how the Biden administration is combating housing bias. We will talk to the nation's top black real estate organization about uh, this huge problem with discrimination in housing. Also, we now have a new debt. Uh, first of all, the debt ceiling has been signed into law. President Biden will be speaking in about an hour. We'll tell you exactly uh, what uh, is happening with that. Also, uh, new jobs report came out today showing a robust economy. All this talk about a recession is not the case, but black unemployment did go up. We'll talk to the economist to explain why that happened. Also, uh, on uh, today's show, uh, it's Education Matters segment. We'll talk with the CEO of an organization that helps students improve their math skills. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best belief, he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Republicans love to say that there's no systemic racism in America, yet we continue to see systemic racism in the housing industry. The Biden administration is trying to tackle that. Vice President Kamala Harris on Thursday held a uh, call with uh, various news media outlets talking about uh, these new rules. Uh, she announced that financial institutions must ensure that their appraisal algorithms are not biased and do not produce lower valuations for homes owned by people of color. 
The administration is also releasing guidance to make it easier for consumers to appeal what they suspect to be biased valuations. Harris noted that only about 5% of home appraisers are people of color and shared the administration hopes uh, uh, to grow through training opportunities for groups underrepresented in the industry. The move is part of an effort to ensure fail algorithms and increase transparency for home valuations. Uh, Harris described home ownership as one of the ways for American families to build wealth. Joining us right now is Antoine Thompson, former executive director of the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. Um, so actually, um, so for, uh, we, we, we'll pull them up later. We pull up my uh, panel right now, Michael Imhotep, host the African History Network show out of Detroit, uh, Matt Manning, civil rights attorney out of Corpus Christi, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver, political analyst uh, out of National Harbor, Maryland. Matt, I want to start with you. Uh, what I did uh, this uh, show with uh, Patrick Bet David. Uh, this he claims he's independent, but he's hardcore conservative, uh, out of uh, Florida. And we, systemic bias came up. I talked about you know these home appraisals, and he's like, "Oh no, I don't believe that." Well, his his team was very slow in pulling the data up, so I said, "Fine, I'll do it." So I pulled up the New York Times report where the Biden administration detailed, uh, using census data, uh, the, the racism in uh, home appraisals. I mean, they literally looked at the data and said, okay, what are the appraisals in this census tract compared to this one? And then he tried to say, oh, I don't believe it. I'm like, oh, so I give you the proof and now you don't believe it. Well, this right here uh, is the kind of proof we're talking about. African-Americans are being negatively impacted when we talk about these algorithms. And what happens is these folks are appraising the homes of black folks and others at a much lower value. And then what happens is you're trying to resell your home and you can't. If you do, you're selling at a lower price. And so therefore, you're not you're not maximizing your profit. That continues to be racism in the housing industry. Yeah, it absolutely does. And you have to be just completely, you know, blind or have amnesia to not realize that every few years a story comes out, and they're they're largely anecdotal, but a story comes out about a family who got a bad appraisal, a black family usually gets a bad appraisal, and then they hide their race, and then the appraisal is considerably higher, right? So from just an easy demonstrable standpoint, you see that this happens because we see stories about it continuously. And we know that it happens, and I'm glad that the Biden administration is addressing this. What I am concerned about, and I'm hoping that your guest will clarify for me, is how they intend to cure the algorithm process. Because what concerns me is if the information that goes in is inherently flawed, then it'll come out with flawed results. And presumably they have some control for that. But that would be my concern, you know, if you're looking at communities that have been historically undervalued, then putting that data in is presumably going to skew the data. But outside of that curative question, I'm, I'm glad to hear this, because as we know, home ownership is by far the primary vehicle for not only generational wealth, but for people of all colors to build wealth. So the idea that we are systemic, systemically being uh, discriminated against in the values of our homes purely because of race and purely because of, you know, discrimination is a horrible thing and literally takes money out of people's pockets. So I'm glad that the administration sees this as a priority and is addressing it. 
You know, and, and what's interesting here, again, Michael, Republicans want to deny this reality. You can have numerous stories where black homeowners say, oh, white appraiser came in and valued the home at this, uh, and right. then we took all the black pictures down, we stripped it of all this blackness, and we had some white friends welcome them, all of a sudden it's valued a hundred, two or three hundred thousand dollars higher. Hello? Yeah, Roland, uh, I, I've dealt with people like that. I've dealt, I've been on uh, uh, panels with uh, black conservatives as well, more like grifters, because we've always had black conservatives, but most of the time they made sense historically. Um, we had Craig DeLuce here on this show, and Reese Colbert and I dealt with him from uh, Project 21. So the, 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 these black conservatives parrot talking points from white conservatives. They cannot admit systemic racism exists. Because if they admit that systemic racism exists, then they will be tasked to provide policies to address systemic racism. They don't have policies to, to address systemic racism because it's not in the black conservatives' um, uh, advantage. It's not in their best interest to address it because the people who are paying them benefit from systemic racism. Racism is systemic by nature. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. So they'll say that they believe that racism is, is exists. But uh, they don't believe racism exists, but they don't believe systemic racism exists. That's a lie. Ninety-seven percent of home appraisers are white. Black conservatives don't want to address that because then they'll be forced to do something about it. So, um, so um, the, the Biden-Harris administration, actually President Joe Biden, back June June first. Uh, 2021, 100th anniversary of the commemoration of the Tulsa Race Massacre, when he was down in Tulsa, he announced initiatives of the Biden-Harris administration to address uh, systemic racism when it comes to home values, things of this nature. Okay, so this is a continuation of this. This is definitely needed. And all those simple Simon asses out there who talk about the uh, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris isn't doing anything, the Biden-Harris administration isn't doing anything, compare this to what Republicans are doing, because they don't want to even acknowledge that this problem exists. Uh, do we have Antoine Thompson there? All right, so we're having some uh, technical issues uh, there. Uh, you, know, you know, on this front, and again, uh, when we talk about uh, the, the wealth gap, we talk about the lack of uh, wealth, this right here, uh, Matt, is a perfect example. When our homes are selling for less twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, that's money we can't invest. That's money we can't buy other things. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's especially impactful because it's not some nebulous metric by which discrimination is occurring, right? Um, it puts a dollar value on that we are a hundred thousand dollars less up, essentially, than we would be if we sold our house if the appraisal were appropriate. And that's particularly true um, as we talk in the national zeitgeist about, you know, people in the younger generations on being unable to buy homes. So the idea that families are investing in homes and want the latitude to move once they sell a home and are getting disadvantaged purely because of how they look, and that's taking away from their ability to buy a new home and or to invest, as, to your point, is especially problematic. And I think it's good in framing the discrimination issue because it's not purely a, a question of what is the mental anguish worth or what is the emotional toll of this worth. It's literally we are down $200,000 where we should be up $200,000 because of the appraisal. And I think that's helpful for framing the issue and also for people seeing the gravity of the issue, understanding how important home ownership is to the building of wealth. 
And I, I just get a kick out of these people, uh, Michael, who act as if, oh, we're just making these things up and it's really no big deal. But the reality is the one area where most Americans have been able to generate wealth, it is through home ownership. And when and when you look at African-Americans, we've never hit 50 percent of home ownership in this country. And so even when we do own homes, we still are having to deal with Jim Crow. Well, absolutely, Roland. And once again, this goes back to my premise, it's not in Republicans' interest to admit that this problem exists, because then they will have to deal with a history of laws and policies that cre that now distributed wealth and power and resources into the hands of Europeans. Right now, you know, the Brookings Institute in the past few years came out with their study that shows that uh, African Americans' homes are valued at $48,000 less than comparable white homes. That accumulates to $156 billion in less value than our homes have. This negatively impacts uh, generational wealth. When you look at the GI Bill, 1944, signed into law by President uh, Roosevelt, the GI Bill is one of those bills in the in the 20th century that drastically maldistributed wealth pound resources because uh, white veterans were able to uh, get low interest loans to buy homes, go to college, and start businesses, whereas African Americans were uh, uh, disproportionately discriminated when they took advantage of taking advantage of the benefits that one, we earned by serving in the military, serving in World War II, and two, our taxpayer dollars were paying for. But when you try to address things like this, then you have somebody like a Senator Tim Scott who says that America is not a racist country. And when he made that statement, everybody needs to look at what his next statement was. His next st statement was, and I'm paraphrasing, it's wrong to have uh, race-based policies or policies that address that discrimination. He's talking about reparations. He's talking about dealing with things like critical race theory, et cetera. Okay, so this is the playbook of Republicans. So we have to understand this and make sure that we vote them out of power and keep them out of power. All right, folks, hold tight one uh, second. Uh, Got to go to a break. We'll be back. Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned.
media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Farquhar, executive producer of Proud Family. Bruce Smith, creator and executive producer of The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. You're watching Roland Martin. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. All right, folks, uh, welcome back. Joining us right now uh, is Antoine Thompson, former head uh, of uh, the uh, top uh, black uh, real estate group, National Association of Real Estate Brokers. Uh, Antoine, so, uh, you know, your your thoughts on this announcement by Vice President Kamala Harris, what the Biden administration is doing when it comes to combating housing discrimination in the algorithms? Uh, First, thank you for having me. Yes, it's uh, desperately needed. I think it's um, the uh, biases with the algorithms has been a, a big issue for many years. But I want us to understand that it's one of many things that needs to happen uh, to deal with the biases in the appraisal industry. You know, the, um, you know, the uh, just share with should we share with folks with what. Um, what y'all have seen, uh, what you've had to contend with um, when we talk about how homes are valued and how black people and other people of color are neg- negatively impacted by lower valuations. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really heartbreaking. I had a, um, I've been in real estate 12 years. I also used to run the uh, black real estate group. And I can tell you that uh, firsthand, of people, I had a guy in Buffalo, uh, where I'm from, but I live in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and um, he had to uh, he 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 had an appraisal um, when when they thought it was a black person owning it. Uh, it came in a hundred thousand dollars, hundred and fifty thousand dollars lower, uh, and he was a real it was a real estate investment. Right. And everything around him was doubling in value in terms of multi-unit dwellings, you know, apartment building. He had a white guy. um, I told him to have a white guy go and be there for the next appraisal. He did it. He um, the value doubled and he was happy. I tried to get him to file a complaint, but he was afraid to do that. He didn't want all the press and heat on him for that. Uh, and that often happens. There are more black people that experience this. Uh, we know that something is not right. We hear about the stories. We know about uh, houses that are built on one side of town, go right across the same uh, one street, 
and the same house uh, is worth more. Same thing in uh, Prince George's County. If you live in Prince George's County, Maryland, compared to uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, same home, same builder. It was almost $200,000 difference in value. And that, that robs families of wealth. That's lessening the opportunity of people uh, to be able to invest in their retirement, to invest in small businesses, uh, and to, as one great uh, media mogul said, you know, no, no home, no loan, because you need a loan. You need a home for collateral. That's your number one way for, uh, for uh, collateral for your business. So... So it's really important, uh, and I think that the algorithm, that's been an issue not only for uh, appraisals, but it's also been a big problem uh, for mortgage lending because, believe it or not, they use uh, algorithms when they're doing credit underwriting as well, not just for the appraisal process. Uh, questions for uh, our guests. Uh, Bat, you first. Yeah, so uh, Antoine, thank you for explaining that. The question that I have is, how do they go about curing the algorithm process? So in terms of the data, what is your understanding on how they will make sure that the data that's going in provides good data coming out? Because my concern is if the data is skewed in terms of you know, depressed values artificially, right, then theoretically, if it goes into the algorithm, then you're just going to get bad results. What's your understanding of how they intend to fix that? <clears throat> so, you know, part of, part of the, the challenge that you have is, and you're right on, if garbage going in, is garbage going out, we're going to have to really have a redo of the data that they're currently using, the models that they're using, uh, and the vice president absolutely correct, uh, the industry, uh, it's, it's only gotten more difficult for African Americans to be uh, successful in in the uh, appraisal industry, but because of the escalating prices uh, of um, uh, the tightening of uh, escalating prices of, of mortgage rate, uh, a lot of black and white people are fleeing the industry over the last uh, year. Uh, so even with the uh, things they're trying to do, I would say two things that we need to look at. Number one is we not only uh, we need good data going in, but the current data that they're using, not just the algorithms, the ones that are writing the programs, you don't have, a, you probably don't have a lot of blacks that are writing uh, the programs for these companies, for the main companies that are doing the uh, writing the systems. That that's really important, making sure that there's an equity lens in that, um, and then also the ones who are on the front. Uh, when we talk about reporting, uh, those appraisers, they look at the data that they have in front of them, and then they make a judgment, right? They make a judgment. And oftentimes, that judgment is, like, really, really subjective. And that's a big part of the problem that no one wants to talk about. The same is true when you go on to the mortgage process. Everyone tries to say, oh, well, the mortgage process is not biased. Well, there's underwriting criteria that's used. Uh, and then first, when the computer uh, does its due diligence on credit scoring, which that whole model of algorithms is bad. Then once you go to the underwriting, that is, that is very subjective. And then on top of that, you have the appraiser, uh, which is also uh, very, very biased. Uh, so just doing algorithms alone will not fix the problem, but that is a bold step in the right direction.
Michael. Hey, Antoine, when we hear stories uh, dealing with um, African-Americans who had white people sit in as the homeowners and their home value shoots up 100000 150000 uh, in stories that I read dealing with this, we see that about 97 percent of home appraisers are white, okay? One, can you explain briefly why this is, and two, what can be done to diversify uh, the home appraisers, get more African-Americans into uh, the business of being home appraisers? Yeah, you know, the, the, this industry, uh, it, it breaks your, it breaks my heart. It makes me so angry when you, I, I can tell you probably at least 50 stories of people that this is happening. I can never tell you my own story of when I mm-hmm. bought my last house I live in when, uh, a, a black, um, mortgage loan officer, and I was running a black real estate group and been in real estate at that point, 10 years, told me they wanted my rental record. And I've sold like almost 100 houses at that point. And, um, and they wanted my rental record. I told them, you know, kick rock. And I went with another lender. And my, and my job had a relationship with these folks. They wanted my rental history for my, for my mortgage. So on the flip side, in terms of the appraisal, the appraisal process, um, you know, they, what we need to do to fix it, one, uh, we've got to start our kids younger. We've got to market. We have to market this to people, uh, helping them understand. We have more people to start uh, more appraisal companies. We need to get scholarships for people to do that. We've got to treat it as a big priority. This, we're lacking in black appraisers. We're lacking in black underwriters as well. Uh, so we're losing on both sides. Even the whole model system of how you get paid to be an appraiser, to get uh, to be a um, mortgage loan officer, both of those put our black communities at a significant disadvantage. And so it's hard to keep people in the appraisal industry. This, the way they get paid, uh, the, value, the current values of most black properties around the country, uh, it makes it very challenging uh, to get black people in the industry because it's a, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat business, right? And right. it requires a lot of schooling. It's only added more and more and more requirements on in many of the markets to be an appraiser. So it's very discouraging uh, for blacks who go into the industry. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, Antoine, we sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you. All right, folks, going to a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk to the economy. We'll talk about uh, this case out of Louisiana uh, as well that we've we got our eyes on. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> 
That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 1067 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. On and other news of the day, don't forget President Joe Biden is going to be speaking in less than 30 minutes uh, from the Oval Office, talk about the debt ceiling. So all of that on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button, y'all. We should be every single time you log on. Hit the like button. It impacts, speaking of algorithms, the algorithm, and you help our show out as well. Also, download our Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Your donations are critically important for us to keep our doors open. Send check-in money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar side. RM Unfiltered, PayPal R. Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zale rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And be sure to get your copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds, available at bookstores nationwide. Download your copy on Audible. We'll be right back. That was a pivotal pivotal time. I remember mm. Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You gotta stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I you know, I'm young, thinking, yeah, I'm good. And he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show was you at the time? This was one-on-one. Got During it. that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one-on-one, yep. going great, yeah. you're making money, you're like... I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't, I don't need to leave from, you know, third, Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just... I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like, I'm going to stay here. Oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, run around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle or me and this one or that one, we go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning. And I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. Well, I was like, I got this money, I'm good. I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making. But what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. Frequency right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be the strong black woman trope at their own expense. Next on the frequency right here on the Black Star Network. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause 
too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Hi, I am Tommy Davidson. I play Oscar on Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. I don't say, I don't play Sammy, but I could. Or I don't play Obama, but I could. I don't do Stallone, but I could do all that. And I am here with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. All right, folks, we've talked about these hair issues uh, in this country when black people are being targeted. Well, a Louisiana principal is literally trying to defend what she did to a black seventh grader. Uh, check this out. Uh, she told this young, young man um, if his decision to braid his hair uh, meant he was trying to, quote, be a gangster. According to Ashley Thorne, Dr. Angela Messman, the principal of Calvary Baptist Church, excuse me, Calvary Baptist, a private school in Slidell, uh, asked her son, Dalen, about his hairstyle. Ashley and her husband, Damon, met with Messman the next day to discuss the incident. During the meeting, Messman told the parents she had some concerns. Quote, I've never had a student wear their braids like that. I've had teachers personally come to me and ask about his hair and what I thought it, about it. I've seen children grow up in this school, and I've seen them change, so I was just checking to see where we are. I just wanted to see his heart. Our culture is changing. Little boys used to have regular little haircuts. I'm seeing a lot of young people listening to a lot of rappers pushing for drugs and doing things opposite of Christ. Ooh, so in a second, we're going to talk to Ashley Thorne uh, about this. Um, my goodness, what the hell, Matt? Uh, what I find particularly insidious about this is that she was trying to almost encapsulate these respectability politics in a, from a standpoint of like, I really care about this child. I'm worried about you rather than my discrimination and prejudices on display. And it's Louisiana. I mean, there are a lot of black people in Louisiana. Braids are very common hairstyle. So to think that that is somehow tantamount to being a gangster and to have the audacity to ask this kid that and put him in a position where he has to advocate for himself for his hairstyle and his culture is just disgusting to me. And it's especially disgusting that it comes from the same kind of thing that we see white people do, just like the sheriff of my county. He's always talking about a refer, uh, or going back to Mayberry, right? And this erstwhile time lost in society where everybody was living in, a, in Pleasantville. And that one never existed. And two, dog whistles, not black people. And that's what happened in this instance, and it's just disgusting. And I hope that this family considers a Title VI lawsuit if this school is receiving federal funding, because there's entirely too much information about this for you to continue making comments like this, particularly to a young child. Uh, Kelly Bethea joins us right now, uh, communication strategist. Kelly, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tripping on... I, I, I was just concerned. Mm -hmm. I had concern about him 
Where, where, where are we going with this? Yeah, um, it, it's unfortunately not news to me that white people don't understand black hair. Um, Three, I think that is four, one of the... Five. I'm sorry. Oh, I was hearing feedback. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Kelly, keep going, keep going. Um, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate that, um, like Matt said, this was kind of wrapped in this very much Karen concern and that uh, uh, backhanded compliments, passive aggressiveness and the like, but also uh, considering, if I'm reading correctly, this is coming from a private Christian school. Um, it is deeply rooted in Eurocentricity, um, specifically Eurocentric Christianity, um, as if Jesus's hair wasn't like wool and probably was braided too. Um, you know, people don't really think about that. And I don't understand how when you have biblical stories about how Samson's strength came from his hair and how you have, you know, almost uh, tenets of how to not cut your hair, um, for that to be ignored for the sake of Eurocentricity is is incredibly hypocritical, but is also very on brand for for American Christianity. Um, it, it, it's all to me. This is called nutcase land, Michael. Roland, there's there's so many things wrong with this story. Okay, first of all, she says that. She she sees rappers pushing drug dealing and all type of negative things like this, but she doesn't call out the right white corporations that pay the rappers to push drug dealing. She doesn't talk about that. She talks about um, his uh, his 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 braids, his actions. They're not Christ like, as as Kelly was saying. When, when we talk about Yeshua, it's more likely that uh, his hair was in locks or in braids than it was uh, straight or blonde. And and then you know. Um, she talks about how concerned she is and she's seen children change and things of this nature. Well, maybe if you have more black history in this school, maybe if you have more history dealing with the contributions that African-Americans made to society, uh, maybe they wouldn't have those problems of them changing for the negative, uh, et cetera. So, you know, these are these are these microaggressions, dog slash dog whistles that that we have to deal with on a daily basis, man. So hopefully, uh, th hopefully th these parents are able to come to some type of reconciliation, and there also needs to be some uh, cultural bias training instituted at that school as well. Ashley and Damon Thorne uh, join us right now. Uh, glad to have both of them here. Uh, Ashley, uh, I'll I'll start with you. I, I, I'm just I, I mean. First of all, describe the reaction of the two of you sitting there listening to this white woman say these things like, like your child just lost his mind and is going off the deep end because he got braids. Right. Um, of course, in the beginning, we, you know, I was angry. 
you know, hearing that come from my son because he was confused. He didn't understand why he was being questioned in the first place about grades. Um, so, of course, sitting in that office with her and hearing the things that were irrelevant to what we were there about, it got to the point where it was more funny. I couldn't be angry because she was so ignorant to the fact that she didn't think she said anything wrong. You know, um, I'm struck by this whole this. I, I, I'm struck, Damon. I'm struck by this whole deal. Like, like he's going through uh, some kind of crisis. I mean, it's just. I just want to make sure is everything okay? Is is he losing it? Like, like what the hell? It's crazy. So, so my son, he's into anime. You know, he knows nothing about gangster or anything like that. So when she asked him that, he was like. He didn't know what she was talking about. So when he comes to us, now we have to explain to him, you know, why, like, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong with your hair, son. There's nothing wrong with you. didn't do anything wrong. I just have to explain to you this, how people, you know, people view um, certain things in this nature when they're closed-minded, you know, they're not even open to anything. Um, during our recording, we recorded the interview, and, um, I mean, it's 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 crazy when I was trying to let her know how long braids been around since before Christ and uh, how it was used um, as an art form. And she just started talking about rappers instantly. And I was like, what are you talking about, ma'am? We're talking about braids. Of, it was a bunch of irrelevant situations that she brought up that had absolutely nothing to do with our son. We even asked her several times, like, okay, but what does that have to do with Dalen? And she's like, oh, Dalen is so sweet. He's so respectful, which we were like, exactly. You didn't see a change in his behavior. You didn't see a change in his attitude. You only saw his hair change. And we're asking her, so why would you question if that's not a problem? Oh, no, the braids are fine. So we were confused. She couldn't give us a straight answer. And at that point, I guess, like she told us, shrugging and saying, Oh, all I can do is apologize, and of course, that's that's not enough. That's not enough. So, uh, first of all, the decision for him to change his hairstyle was it yours, or did he say, you know what, I want some braids? He he had been asking. Yeah, he'd been asking to change his hairstyle. He had worn his hair just kind of like mine for like a long for a long time. So he just wanted to change it. So we actually... And he saw other kids at the school with braids also. Right, right. So he was just like, hey, can I wear my hair a different way? Um, my wife and actually braided his hair for him. I did it. And, you know, he was excited about it and then went to school the very next day and then this happened. So... Yeah. Uh, and, and really what this is, I mean, we've seen, we've seen these things before. We've seen... Uh, I, I'll tell you, I remember when um, I was, um, the Dallas Mavericks had a media day. Uh, and I remember we were sitting at the tables, other journalists, and this white, this white male journalist start talking about how Allen Iverson was a thug. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he was talking about his hair. I said, well, Cherokee Park, Cher, Cher, it was, I got Cherokee Parks, uh, who played for the Mavericks, his ass wore a mullet. I said, well, right. what the hell wrong with his head? And, and, and I jammed him up, and I told him, I said, "See, I said, first of all, I'm, and so I mean, I start, I start pressing his ass, and so 
Uh, and so he, he realized that, oh, I stepped in it. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, this is what y'all white boys do. I said, y'all white boys get together and y'all make these statements and y'all write these stories. And then you discuss it on sports talk radio. I said, then all of a sudden that then becomes the narrative uh, all around the country. And what you're, see and what you're seeing is in, in, in this principal's mind, the moment she see braids, she's thinking, oh my God, that's a thug, that's a gangster. Right. Instantly, instantly. Yes. And I asked her, I said, is that protocol to ask every student that comes in with braids, is that protocol to ask them that? And she's like, oh, no. So I'm like, okay, well, again, no, why did you ask my son? You know, my son, he had the first thing, like I said, initially it was anger. Um, of course, when he came home that day, we talked to him about it. And I just kind of wanted to see how he felt. And he was confused, and I asked him, you know, well, what did your friend say? Because, of course, he's pulled aside by the principal. Of course, they're going to wonder, oh, what happened? Why she pulled you to the side? Well, he told them, and I said, well, what did they say? And, of course, um, one of his fellow students said that was racist. And I said, well, how did you feel? He said, I agree. And I said, you have every right to feel that way. And I asked him, was he offended? And he said, yes. And I told him he has every right to feel that way also. Um, were, so have y'all taken this thing higher to the school board, to board trustees? Uh, what, what's next for you? So actually, um, someone, uh, suggested we seek some type of legal uh, counsel because, uh, on the recording, she, I mean, we never even brought up race now one time and she did. She started talking about black people and rappers and all this other stuff. And we was like, Ma'am, what are you talking about? We're talking about my son. Right. And he she brought got up sag, She brought up sagging pants. She started bringing up sagging pants. Just all these my stereotypes. Son, my son doesn't sag at all. If you see him, he actually wears his pants a little too high <laughs> up to his belly button. You know? So it's so funny. I had to start bringing up this stuff. Right. And uh, I was just like, you know, and I told her. I did. I told her. I said, ma'am, you know, I wish you would open up your mind a little more. Um, apparently, you, you know, you lack some kind of cultural training right. or something because, you know, this is nothing uh, for you to be feeling however you feel about it. This is nothing for you to be feeling that way. My son has braids. That's it. Right. Uh, you know, um, it. and it's funny because, you know, how many, you know, kids that have shot up these schools, how many of them have braids? You know, right. Like, are you offended by the other hairstyles or the as she called it, the regular cuts when right. she made this. Yeah. She's like, yeah, um, I'm used to kids with the normal, regular haircuts. And again, that doesn't describe our son. So um, we're seeking legal counsel. We have wow. yet find somebody. Um, we're looking. Yeah, we're looking. For legal counsel, which is why we haven't released the recording, because we want to make sure we do this correctly. Right. Um, it's a private school, so of course there are steps, but this particular board that they have, um, it seems that they stand with her. Yeah, they don't really want to talk about so it. So we're trying to... I don't want to let this be swept under the rug, because she's comfortable with doing this. She's done it before. Same kind of situation. Um, and I guess she gives them this well, I apologize, you know, and that's supposed to be it. I don't think we should sweep this under the rug. She's she's done it too many times. She doesn't 
need to be in any authority over children. There should always be consequences for uh, everyone's actions, especially those in high authority like that. You're the principal of the school, so you have to lead by example. And I don't want to just bring about awareness. I want to actually do something to actually right. uh, create some type of change, whether it's you know, her losing her job, or she needs to understand that there's consequences for her actions. You're not allowed to go around asking kids, a 12-year-old, um, if their hairstyle, I don't know, insinuating it's something gangster or something right. negative about it, and then goes on to say, oh, well, um, you, how you wear your hair and your clothes reflects God. Making it seem Making like him his hair like there's something's wrong with what he's right. doing and he's done nothing wrong. Um, all right, folks, look, uh, keep us abreast of what happens uh, and uh, good luck in your battle. Thank, Thank you, you so much. All right, gotta go to break. We'll be back on Rollerback Unfiltered on the Black Sun Network. Pull up a chair, take your seat. The Black with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, how big a role does fear play in your life? Your relationship to it. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council and how to deal with it can be the difference between living a healthy life, a balanced life, or a miserable one. Whenever the power of fear comes along, you need to put yourself in that holding pattern and breathe, examine, find out if there's something that your survival instinct requires you to either fight or take flight. Facing your fears and making them work for you instead of against you. That's all next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. Hello, we're the Critter Fixers. I'm Dr. Bernard Hodges. And I'm Dr. Terrence Ferguson. And you're tuned in to Roland Martin Unfiltered. for Minneapolis since April 30th. The 16-year-old is 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighs 150 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about is Lanny or Lonnie Bush is urged to call the Hennepin County, Minnesota Sheriff's Office at 952-258-5321, 952 258 
A Colorado judge says prosecutors in the case of Elijah McLean murder trial must provide more information about two men's charges before a trial can begin. A Denver judge agreed with defense attorneys for officers Randy Rodima and Jason Rosenblatt, arguing that they could not mount a proper defense due to a lack of information from prosecutors. McLean was stopped by police officers Rodima, Rosenblatt, and Nathan Woodyard in a Denver suburb in 2019 after a 911 caller reported a man who seemed, quote, sketchy. When paramedic Jeremy Cooper and Lieutenant Peter uh, Suchinik arrived, officers forcibly restrained him using a chokehold as paramedics ejected him with ketamine. Rodima and Rosenblatt are scheduled to go on trial on July 10th. Two paramedics, uh, Jeremy Cooper and uh, Lieutenant Peter, are currently expected to go on trial in August, while a third police officer, Nathan Woodyard, is set to be, be tried in September. A Missouri judge agrees to keep court documents sealed uh, in the Ralph Yarl case because of threats against Andrew Lester, the white man uh, who has been uh, charged with shooting the black teen. Lester's lawyers asked Clay County Judge Lewis Angles to seal court records because Lester has had to relocate three times since last month's shooting. The judge expressed concern that not sealing the documents could also lead to witness intimidation, which could influence the case outcome. Lester has pleaded not guilty to charges of assault in the first degree and armed criminal action in the case. Lester remains out of, uh, uh, out of custody after posting a $20,000 bond. Preliminary hearing is scheduled for August. And the New York murder case for the death of Gerald Neely is now before a grand jury. Prosecutors are presenting evidence in the case of former Marine Daniel Penny, who was charged with second-degree manslaughter. Penny was charged last month in the death of Jordan Neely, who died after being put in a chokehold by Penny on New York City subway train. Penny's lawyers say the veteran is prepared to testify before the grand jury, but no decision has been made. The maximum penalty for second-degree murder manslaughter is 15 years in prison. All right, folks, going to go to break. We come back. President Joe Biden speaks from the Oval Office about the debt ceiling agreement. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. An angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Momentum we have now. We have to keep this going. The 
video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Devon Franklin. It is always a pleasure to be in the house. You are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay right here. All right, folks, uh, momentarily, President Joe Biden is going to be speaking from the Oval Office about the debt ceiling agreement that he has signed uh, into law. Uh, the House, of course, passed it. The Senate passed it this week uh, as well. Uh, it uh, allows for the United States to continue to borrow, uh, making sure you're not going to see the economy tank. Also, it's been a good day for the Biden administration uh, because the new job numbers came out showing uh, uh, more and more jobs being added at a higher rate than people actually expected. Uh, this, of course, is, is, is critical because, again, all these doomsayers, they'd be like, oh, my God, recession, 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 but it's not happening. And so 339,000 jobs were created in the month of May. Now, black unemployment did increase. And so uh, we, we originally had Dr. Cecilia Rouse, who was the former head of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, uh, booked on the show. But because we're supposed to talk to her right now, because Biden is going to be talking uh, momentarily. Uh, so Control is going to let me know uh, when he goes up. Um, uh, and so that's why we so we probably talking to her uh, on, on Monday. So uh, here's President Joe Biden from the Oval Office. We're over. And the Democrats and Republicans can no longer work together. But I refuse to believe that because America can never give in to that way of thinking. Look, the only way American democracy can function is through compromise and consensus. And that's what I work to do as your president. You know, to forge bipartisan agreement where it's possible and where it's needed. I've signed more than 350 bipartisan laws thus far, almost two and a half years, including the historic law that rebuilding America so that we can rank number one in the world in infrastructure instead of where we're ranked now number 13 in the world. Another historic law, rebuilding our manufacturing base so that we'll lead the world once again in making semiconductor chips so much more and so, so many more and so many more sophisticated ones. And now, a bipartisan budget agreement. This is vital because, it's because it's essential to the progress we've made over the last few years is keeping full faith and credit of the United States of America and passing a budget that continues to grow our economy and reflects our values as a nation. That's why I'm speaking to you tonight to report on the crisis averted and what we're doing to protect America's future. Passing this budget agreement was critical. The stakes could not have been higher. If we had failed to reach an agreement on the budget, there were extreme voices threatening to take America for the first time in our 247-year history into default on our national debt. Nothing, nothing would have been more irresponsible. Nothing would have been more catastrophic. Our economy would have been thrown into recession. Retirement accounts for millions of Americans would have been decimated. Eight million Americans would have lost their jobs. Default would have been, have destroyed our nation's credit rating, which would have made everything from mortgages to car loans to funding for the government much more expensive. And it would have taken years to climb out of that hole. And America's standing as the most trusted, reliable financial partner in the world would have been shattered. So, it was critical to reach an agreement. 
And it's very good news for the American people. No one got everything they wanted, but the American people got what they needed. We averted an economic crisis, an economic collapse. We're cutting spending and bringing the deficits down at the same time. We're protecting important priorities from Social Security to Medicare to Medicaid to veterans to our transformational investments in infrastructure and clean energy. I want to commend Senator Speaker McCarthy. You know, uh, he and I, uh, we uh, and our teams, we were able to get along and get things done. We were straightforward with one another, completely honest with one another, respectful with one another. Both sides operated in good faith. Both sides kept their word. And I also want to commend other congressional leaders, House Minority Leader Jeffries, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, Senate Minority Leader McConnell. They acted responsibly and put the good of the country ahead of politics. The final vote in both chambers was overwhelming, far more bipartisan than anyone thought was possible. So I want to thank the members of Congress who voted to pass this agreement, which I'm going to sign tomorrow and become the law. So here's what the deal does. First, it cuts spending. And over the next 10 years, the deficit will be cut by more than $1 trillion. And that will be on top of the record $1.7 trillion, $1.7 trillion. I already cut the deficit in my first two years in office. And it's clear we're all in a much more fiscally responsible course than the one I inherited when I took office four years ago. When I came to office, the deficit had increased every year the previous four years. And nearly $8 trillion were added to the national debt in the last administration. And now we're turning things around. And that's good for America. You know, my dad used to have an expression. He said, Joey, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget. I'll tell you what you value. That's at the heart of this debate. What do we value? Protecting seniors. You may remember, during my State of the Union address, there, were spirit, there was a spirit exchange between me and a few Republicans spontaneously occurring on the floor of the House of Representatives. I was pointing out that for years, some of them were putting forward proposals to cut Social Security and Medicare. And some of them that night took exceptions, and they said very loudly that that wasn't true. So I asked them on the floor at that night, I said, ask them a simple question. Will you agree not to cut Social Security, not to cut Medicare? Would they agree to protect these essential programs that are a lifeline for millions of Americans? Programs that these Americans have been paying into every single paycheck they've earned since they started working, and that provides so much peace of mind. With the bright lights and cameras on, those few Republicans who were protesting, they agreed. They said they wouldn't cut it. That's how we protected Social Security and Medicare from the beginning and from it being cut, period. Health care was another priority for me, a top priority. I made it clear from the outset I would not agree to any cuts in Medicaid, another essential lifeline for millions of Americans, including children in poverty, the elderly in nursing homes, and Americans living with disabilities. The original House Republican proposal would have cut health care for up to 21 million Americans on Medicaid. And I said no. And Medicare was protected. And so were millions of people most in need. Look, I've long believed that the only one truly sacred obligation that the government has is to prepare those we send into harm's way and care for them and their families when they come home and when they don't come home. That's why my last budget 
provided VA hospitals with additional funding for more doctors, nurses, and equipment to accommodate the needs of veterans and more appointments. The House Republican plan would have met 30 fewer million VA healthcare visits for our veterans. But we didn't let that happen. In addition, this bill fully funds the Bipartisan PACT Act, the most significant law in decades for veterans exposed to toxic burn pits and for their families. It expands access to those veterans and their families to health care and to disability benefits. Look, we're investing in America and our people and in our future. We've created over 13 million new jobs, nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Where is it written that America can't lead the world again in manufacturing? Unemployment is at 3.7 percent. More Americans are working today than ever in the history of this country. And inflation has dropped 10 straight months in a row. In this debate, I refuse to put what was responsible for all this economic progress on the chopping block. This bipartisan agreement protects the law that will help us build the best infrastructure in the world. It fully protects the Chips and Science Act, which is going to bring key parts of our supply chain to America, so we don't have to rely on others, like semiconductors, those tiny computer chips smaller than the tip of your finger that affect nearly everything we rely on, from cell phones to having building automobiles to the most sophisticated weapon systems and so much more. We protected another law that I passed and signed last year that finally beat Big Pharma, which I've been trying to do for over 30 years. It finally gives Medicare the power to negotiate lower drug prices, just like the VA has been able to do for veterans. This law has already dramatically cut the cost of insulin for seniors, from as much as $400 a month to just $35 a month for insulin. Negotiating lower drug prices not only saves seniors a lot of money, it saves the country a lot of money. $160 billion that's not having to be paid out because we're, drug prices are more rational. We pay the highest drug prices of any industrial nation in the world. And it's just the beginning. You know, we also protected the most significant breakthrough ever, ever, in dealing with the existential threat of climate change. Today, new wind and solar power is cheaper than fossil fuel. Since I've been in office, clean energy and advanced manufacturing have brought in $470 billion in private investments. It's going to create thousands of jobs, good-paying jobs, all across this country and help the environment at the same time. Remember, at the beginning of this debate, some of my Republican colleagues were determined to gut the clean energy investments. And I said, no, we kept them all. And there's, one, and there's so much more to do. We're going to do even more to reduce the deficit. We need to control spending if we're going to do that. But we also have to raise revenue and go after tax cheats and make sure everybody's paying their fair share. No one, I promise, no one making less than $400,000 a year will pay a penny more in federal taxes. But like most of you at home, I know the federal tax system isn't fair. That's why I kept my commitment, again, that no one earning less than $400,000 a year will pay a penny more in federal taxes. That's why last year I secured more funding to go more IRS funding to go after wealthy tax cheats. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, and it is nonpartisan, 
says that this bill will bring in $150 billion, and other outside experts expect that it would save as much as $400 billion, because it's forcing people to pay their fair share. Republicans may not like it, but I'm going to make sure the wealthy pay their fair share. I'm also proposed closing over a dozen special interest tax loopholes for big oil, crypto traders, hedge fund billionaires, saving taxpayers billions of dollars. Republicans defended every single one of these special interest loopholes, every single one. But I'm going to be coming back, and with your help, I'm going to win. Right now, catch this, right now the average billionaire in America pays just 8 percent in federal taxes, 8 percent. Teachers and firefighters pay more than that. That's why I propose the minimum tax for billionaires. Republicans are against it, but I'm going to keep fighting for it. No billionaire should pay less in federal taxes than a teacher or a firefighter. Look, let me close with this. I know bipartisanship is hard and unity is hard, but we can never stop trying. Because in moments like this one, the ones we just faced, where the American economy and the world economy is at risk of collapsing, there's no other way. No matter how tough our politics gets, we need to see each other, not as adversaries, but as fellow Americans. Treat each other with dignity and respect. To join forces as Americans to stop shouting, lower the temperature, and work together to pursue progress, secure prosperity, and keep the promise of America for everybody. As I've said in my inaugural address, without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. And we can never become that country. I can honestly say, I can honestly say to you tonight that I've never been more optimistic about America's future. We just need to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. And there's nothing, nothing we can't do when we do it together. So thank you all for listening, taking the time tonight to listen to me. May God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you. All right, folks, that was President Joe Biden. Uh Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh, talk about the debt ceiling, but also uh, what's happening with the economy. We're going to go to a break. On the flip side, we're going to talk to our panel about what he had to say. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. YouTube, hit that button, that like button. Also, folks, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do. Folks, listen, I'm in Atlanta right now. I was covering the uh, National Coalition on Black 
Black Civic Participation uh, their um, organizing conference. Next week, we're going to be in Jackson, Mississippi uh, for the 60th anniversary uh, commemoration of the assassination of Medgar Evers. We're going to be covering the events at the uh, Medgar and Merle Evers Institute uh, at Jackson State, so we're going to be there. Uh, so, look, uh, the only way we can do what we do is with your support. Uh, so please, support us as best that you can. Uh, send your check and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Those proceeds I put right back uh, into the show, folks. Uh, and so you can, of course, get the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, uh, Books a Million. You can also download your copy on Audible. We'll be right back. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. I remember Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You got to stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I ain't got, you know, I'm young, thinking, man, I'm good. And he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show was the other time? This was one-on-one. Got During it. that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one-on-one, yep. going great, yeah. you're making money, you like... I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't, I don't need to leave from, you know, thir Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like, I'm going to stay here. Oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs and run around. I'd, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle or me and this one or that one, we'd go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning. And I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. I was like, I got this money, I'm good, I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making, but what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. Right here on the Black Star Network, Shanita Hubbard. We're talking about the ride or die chick. We're breaking it down. The stereotype of the strong black woman. Some of us are operating with it as if it's a badge of honor. Like you even hear black women like aspiring to be this ride or die chick, aspiring to be the strong black woman at their own expense. Next on the frequency, right here on the Black Star Network. What's up? It's Sammy Roman. Hey, it's John Murray, the executive producer of the new Sherry Shepard Talk Show. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you're watching. Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered of the Black Star Network. Let's go right to uh, my panel. We got uh, Kelly, Matt, Michael. Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, look, Biden purposely has not been taking a victory lap until after uh, the Senate Act. It's very rare for presidents to give Oval Office uh, addresses. Uh, this here clearly was uh, his attempt uh, to reframe this discussion and to tout how he's been able to actually get things done in a bipartisan way. Uh, you can look at the poll numbers. That's one thing. But 
He's racking up actual successes. He's racking up a whole lot of successes. This is just a continuation of the of the first two years of the Biden-Harris administration. And uh, this, this deal, th this um, debt ceiling uh, bill, could have been much worse when you look at what, what Republicans actually wanted. So um, he was able to masterfully uh, negotiate this bill. Now, McCarthy had to dance for the uh, for the MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives, but McCarthy already said um, defaulting on the debt is off the is off the table. Okay, McCarthy wasn't going to let that happen. So. Um, there are some things in here that some of the progressives, like some of the progressives in the in the House, voted against it. Uh, uh, the uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023. Uh, you have the restarting of uh, student loan payments. Uh, you have uh, some uh, people who will not be able to get SNAP funding, things like this. But overall, it's going to be about 78,000 more people per month who will qualify for SNAP benefits. So. Uh, when we look at what Republicans were trying to were trying to do, just keep in mind that the difference between Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House and uh, Hakeem Jeffries being the Speaker of the House was about 7,000 votes in a handful of districts that went for Republicans. Okay, so 2024, uh, Democrats have to take back control of the House of Representatives and, and increase their lead and increase their margin in the Senate. But, Kelly, here's the deal, though. Biden, but look, played this thing smart. He knew the Republicans were not going to go for it. And so all he did was look at his Democratic numbers and say, I can bank those numbers. I need to pick up a handful of Republicans. Boom. I got me a deal in the House. And that's what happened. It, that's exactly what happened. And I think it's you know, imperative for people to understand that bipartisan does not mean that all Republicans join the Democrats for this deal. Like you said, you only need a handful of Republicans in order to push something through um, and in order for it to be considered bipartisan at all. And that's what Biden knows, and that's what Biden banks on, and that's what he did. So I applaud him for understanding actual politics, and, you know, he's an expert at it, and, that, and he used that expertise in order to get this uh, deal done. Now, a lot of people are saying, you know, I see the comments, you know, how you mentioned how he has successes under his belt, and people are saying, well, how do you have successes, but your approval rating is so low? Approval rating does not mean that you don't have any successes under your belt. Approval rating means that you don't know what those successes are, as far as I'm concerned. And that goes back to the Biden administration's comms team and outreach not doing as great of a job as they could expressing exactly what Biden does for this country. So I think that with the proper outreach strategy, on top of good policy and good law going out, you know, not only will Biden's uh, approval ratings go up, but Americans will actually understand what's going on and actually be pleased and not be relying on polls to decide who's approving and who's not. But here's the deal, though. I mean, the, the reality, Matt, uh, what this White House, White House has to do, 
They've got to learn to thump their chest like Trump did. He took for credit for crap he didn't even do. He was taking credit for bills that Obama signed. And so if, if for some reason Democrats don't like doing that, they think that looks like, oh, that's just a little too much. No, your job is to thump your chest, pound your chest. And it's like, yeah, we did it. I, 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 I think about that scene from Jungle Fever. When uh, when Wesley Snipes playing Flipper uh, was uh, leaving, he was like, see that? That's mine. Mine, 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 mine. Showing all of his architecture work. Sometimes, dog, you got to tell folks, uh, yo, that's my shit. I did that. Roland, my brother, thank you for giving me this question. Because when I heard Biden speaking, I heard, my name is Joseph R. Biden, and I'm running to be your president again in 2024. Let me tell you all the ways that I'm dope. Let me tell you all the ways the Republicans are messed up. Let me tell you about the Cheeto-in-Chief who left office with all these problems and how I'm fixing them. I thought this was real fireside chatty. It felt like FDR probably back in the 30s, where he's sitting and he starts talking about the debt ceiling, but then it you know, goes into all these other issues where he wants to make it exceedingly clear to the American people that he's working on their behalf. And, you know, look, the reality of it is you're talking— politicians and encapsulating things the way that they need to in order to garner support. But to your point, I think that this White House, as we've talked about many times on the show, needs to be better about this. And I think this was actually done in a very effective way. I think the prose that he chose was very unifying. I think the the kind of tenor of what he talked about was coming together, especially on something like a debt ceiling, one where a lot of people don't fully understand what that means in practice. But just the idea that, hey, I reached across the aisle, I, you know, called uh, the people on the other side and make things work to your benefit. Uh, I think he was effective in that respect. And I think what we're seeing is that he's already starting to counter the DeSantis and the Republicans and all the stuff that, you know, we know is going to be on the far extreme. He's already shooting for that middle and middle America in particular to tell him, hey, I'm still your president. I'm still working for you. And I'm going to make sure there's a chicken in every pot in America. Uh, look, th this is campaign time, uh, and again, uh, all of these people uh, have been yelling and screaming, Michael, the economy is falling apart, we're having a recession, and, and look, all these, look, I remember September, they were yelling recession, I remember right. uh, Jamie Dimon, Jeff Bezos, all these people, um, Amazon start laying people off. Facebook start laying people off. Everybody, all these tech companies, they all were talking about uh, that all of these companies were pulling their advertising. We have felt that impact as well. All these folks pulling their money left and right, saying, you know, we got to prepare for the recession. We're now in June. Mm -hmm. No recession. Right. So you, you have people like Jamie Dimon, you have people like Jeff Bezos, but then you have the coup plotters over at Fox TV. Then you have the people like Representative Byron Donalds, who uh, the Congressional Black Caucus didn't even want, Republican from Florida, who you've had here on the show. You kicked his behind when he was here on the show, Roland. Um, so you have those who are betting against America because they want the economy to fall out of these Republicans. What they wanted, what, what, some, what some of these MAGA Republicans wanted to do was to actually default on the debt, 
tank the economy and then blame Biden for tanking the economy so that Republicans can win back the White House in 2024. It's not going to work. You, 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 you're part of this. Uh, you, you, you are coup plotter sympathizers. Are you a part of the coup? And uh, we have to uh, keep asking the question: Why do they? Why do these people want the economy to fail? Why don't they want the economy to grow? Why don't they, why don't they want jobs to be created? So. Once again, this is an example of how elections have consequences, and we need to vote these people out of power and make sure they stay out of power. But the thing here, Kelly, that we have to have to have to recognize again, they were all yelling uh, the recession. I saw this clip earlier. Maria Bartiromo, who was just sick to her stomach, also that part. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans. Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Joe Concha, uh, who's a commentator on Fox News, so-called fake media analyst, that's what he is. And they were just like, well, you know, we we're just so surprised by this. You know, they, they just keep, the estimates keep saying this, but then the reality comes out. Uh, but here's the deal. And then they, they try to cite the inflation. The reason inflation is still high, because these companies are jacking up prices because they, it's pure theft, it's greed. That's why inflation is still high. Well, not only that, but I think that the reason why Republicans are kind of spinning their wheels here is because they don't have a narrative if nothing is failing, right? Their whole machine is rooted in fear and propaganda. And when you do not have a story that has a modicum of truth to that fear and propaganda, they don't have anything to build their lies upon except their own lies. And right now, they don't have a new lie to tout, and, and that's the issue here. So the fact of the matter is, whether there's a recession or not, right now, we don't have one. So they don't have anything to build that fear off of. We got the jobs report today. Jobs are going great. They can't use those numbers um, to to push propaganda and fear because that's, you know, a, a check in the Democrats' column. So they're spinning their wheels because they don't have a, a, a process. They don't have a strategy outside of propaganda, pushing fear, and, and making uh, MAGA supporters feel better about the crappy lives that they're living. All right, folks, um, hold on one second. I got to go to a break. When we come back, uh, more on Roller Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Yo, YouTube folks, hit that button. Let me see, first of all, are we at 1,000 likes by now? Man, look, I told y'all, I shouldn't have to be sitting here begging y'all to hit the doggone like button, okay? Uh, this thing is not that hard. This is what we do. Uh, so let's see here. Where we at? Um, where we at? Uh, let's see here. Y'all, it's 946. When I come back from this break, 
We should be over a thousand. Okay, y'all comment like crazy, but you ain't hitting the like button. Hit the damn like button, okay? Uh, hit the subscribe button as well. Uh, the, on YouTube, uh, let's get to 1.1 million YouTube subscribers, but download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, uh, and of course, support us to bring the funk fan club. Uh, of course, we're asking 50 bucks each from our fans at $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Look, you're getting my show, six other shows on this network. Nobody's doing what we do. And so, look, y'all paying a hell of a lot more for cable, and that money is going to ESPN and Fox News. It ain't going to nobody black. Uh, so please support us in what you do. Uh, uh, and so you, 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 you can give less. Uh, since somebody gave us $12.50, trust me, I appreciate that. You can give more. That'd be great as well. So check in Monday orders, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, Donald Sound, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from LA. And this is the culture. The culture is a two way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together. So let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's the culture. Weekdays at 3, only on the Black Star Network. I'm Joe Marie Payton, voice of Sugar Mama on Disney's Louder and Prouder, Disney Plus. And I'm with Roland Martin on Unfiltered. Education matters. Time for that segment, and math is uh, one of those areas that, for look, I couldn't stand math when I was in the school. Uh, but thank goodness you have this virtual summer camp uh, that can actually uh, help folks uh, who are in need. Now, math is a, uh, a critical area uh, where we're seeing uh, lower scores uh, in this country, and so uh, there's an effort to try to get those uh, boosted. Uh, my next guest uh, is the um, author of 
Building Brighter Kids from kindergarten to college, founder and CEO of Building Brighter Kids, uh, Veta Green Johnson. She created Confident Calculators Camp to help students learn the eight math skills that middle schools need to succeed in math uh, and beyond. She joins us from Papano Beach, uh, Florida. All right, Vita, uh, uh, so uh, you're, you're, so what, you, you're like the super duper math expert uh, and, and you can get kids excited about math? Really? How? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am the master of middlers. So I get them excited about math. I get them excited about themselves. I teach them the importance of math. I show them how math plays a role in everything. Numbers are everywhere. It, that's just what I do. Magic and math. That's who I am. <laughs> Okay, okay, but how? Because again, how? Well, let's talk uh, about I mean, look, we know English. It, we, camp. Yeah, like how? All right, let's talk about this. So basically, most students are missing quite a bit of learning from math. Um, they miss a lot from year to year. So what I do, I have created Confident Calculators, which is a summer virtual math camp for students to help fill in those gaps because I believe that summer is the best time to learn. So we cover all of the basics that middle schoolers need in order to excel in math and to prepare them for Algebra 1. So, All right, so we know uh, COVID, COVID the last couple of years has really made things hard for kids in class. And so yeah. uh, what type of acceleration needs to happen? Because, again, we're seeing the net result of what happened when, when, when frankly, people were, kids were not going to school, were not learning. Right. So really the key is to get back to the basics. So there are only four things you can do in math, add, subtract, multiply, and divide. When we are strong in those areas, we're able to build a strong foundation that will allow us to catapult these kids into acceleration. What's happening is we kind of glossed over and kind of, kind of, pushed under the rug, the COVID situation. We put these kids back into the classroom and we just went on with the usual you know, teaching and learning of math and, and reading and all the skills. But we have to get back to the basics, especially for our math students, because math is pivotal. So that whole pandemic, those two years, two and a half years actually, have set children back so far, but we just, and we can't just move ahead. We have to stop. We have to incorporate parents, math at home, numbers around us, after school programs, and we have to fill in the gaps in the summer because children lose two and a half months of learning in the summer. So couple that with the COVID loss, they are farther and farther behind. So we got to get back to the basics. All right. Let's, uh, questions from our panel. Let's see. Out of Michael, Matt, and Kelly, who probably was the worst at math? Matt. Well, you know, I didn't learn counting chickens and horses and goats out in the country. Here's my question, Vita. Um, my 13-year-old may indeed be in your program. So how does the program actually work in the summer? How uh, involved is it in terms of daily, um, you know, uh, meetings and what does it look like kind of on the ground? <clears throat> okay. Well, it is my belief that during the summer, a child should spend at least one hour a day in math or covering their math skills. So 
I work with them an hour a day, Monday through Thursday, and I give them the basic skills covering those eight subjects. So the eight subjects are integers, exponents, solving equations, inequalities, building on the geometry skills, the substitution, the properties of math, those things that they need in order to build those skills each and every day. So with me by their side, in their face, virtual every day, I give them assessments. I give them a pre-assessment on each topic to find out where they are. And then I teach toward those missing gaps. And then I bring in my expertise as a math teacher for more than 20 years to fill in the gaps along the way for the things I believe that they should know before they step into the next grade level or beyond. So it's a Zoom call. There, it's virtual. I, I communicate with them via email. I communicate with them via Voxer, that's the voice um, um, walkie-talkie, so they can ask me questions as they're doing the, the assignments that I give them. But I make it fun. So I incorporate music, dance, food, because everybody loves food, and we can connect math to food. Um, we will cover those things to make math um, connected, not just feeding them numbers. So a 13-year-old generally has an attention span of about 15 to 20 minutes. So we'll transition between activities. They'll be able to work together. They'll have group work. They'll have asynchronous and synchronous work. And so the basically virtual Zoom conversations, communication with parents as well. So we're incorporating the whole village in helping these children to bridge the gap between where they are and where they need to be. All right, uh, Kelly. Sure. So I see on your website that you actually uh, teach children from K to 12, if I understand correctly, or even beyond uh, grade 12, even college students. My question to you is, while that is incredible, which age group or which grade cluster do you think, based off of um, what happened with COVID, needs the most help? In, in this area, and can you give us a success story within that age range um, to basically, you know, sell your product? All right. Well, Building Brighter Kids from Kindergarten to College is the parent arm. Confident Calculators, the focus is on the middle school child. So I bridge the fifth grader into middle school, and I reach forward to bridge the eighth grader into high school. So my target audience for Confident Calculators Camp is the middle school child. So the the focus is to make sure that they have the skills that they need before they go into the beyond, before they step into the Algebra 1 class. So my best success story, actually, I just got a text message from one of my parents who has a child who has never scored higher than a D in math. And she just sent me a message saying that he received a B in math this quarter. And that, she said, in capital letters, unprecedented. So I've worked with that child since March, February. And so we closed out the quarter with a B in math, and he received an 88 on his final exam, which covered the whole year. So I must say that middle school children, that's my jam. So while I do Building Brighter Kids from kindergarten to college, my target audience is the middle school child. I love them, and most people don't. <laughs> Understood. Michael, 
all right, Vita, hey, you know, this is something fantastic. And my mother was a math teacher in elementary school for decades. So this, you know, really hits home with me. Um, oftentimes, you may have parents who want to help children with math, but those parents may not have been good in math when they were children. And they be, may be, there may be apprehension about helping the child and letting the child know that they don't know how to do certain math problems or deal with geometry. So how do you, when you have a child that's in your summer camp, is there anything to help incorporate the parents to try to like reinforce at home what the child is learning during the summer camp? Absolutely. Parents will receive an email at the end of the lesson or the session each week. I call it pieces of the pie, P-I, for 3.14. Yep, they get mm -hmm. the, the pieces go. of the pie strategies. I give them resources. I, I connect them with online and other um, resources that they can use, that they can use at home. There are apps on the phone that they can use. There are activities that they can do at home. It's not just the, ooh, scary math. Numbers mm -hmm. and math are everywhere. So I give them strategies to help them help their children succeed. All right, thank you. All right, where can people get more information on the uh, virtual camp? They can go to buildingbrighterkids.com. They can also, don't forget, I forgot this, get your free copy of Raising a Confident Calculator. It's an ebook where I give you strategies, tools, and tips on raising your own confident calculator. Everything is found at buildingbrighterkids.com, and you can follow me across all social media at Build Bright Kids. I think that's all it. All right. We appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Thank you. Have a great one. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back. We'll be right back on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Pull up a chair. Take your seat. With me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, how big a role does fear play in your life? Your relationship to it and how to deal with it can be the difference between living a healthy life, a balanced life, or a miserable one. Whenever the power of fear comes along, you need to put yourself in that holding pattern and breathe, examine, find out if there's something that your survival instinct requires you to either fight or take flight. Facing your fears and making them work for you instead of against you. That's all next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and my new show, Get Wealthy, focuses on the things that your financial advisor and bank isn't telling you, but you absolutely need to know. So watch Get Wealthy on the Black Star Network. Hello, I'm Paula J. Parker. Judy Proud on the Proud Family. Louder and Prouder on Disney Plus. And you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we continue Education Matters, folks. Dozens of Mississippi schools remain under desegregation orders from the Department of Justice. Uh, on Thursday, U.S. Assistant Attorney General Christian Clark spoke to a small group in Holmes County Circuit Court Complex in Lexington, Mississippi, 
about the Justice Department examining the state school districts to ensure black students have equal access to educational programs. Clark told a small group in our ongoing efforts to fulfill the promise of Brown v. Board of Education, we currently have 32 open cases with school districts here in Mississippi, and in each of those cases, we are working to ensure that these districts comply with desegregation orders from courts. Mississippi, folks, has the highest percentage of black residents of any state in the U.S. and has been home to legal fights over desegregation. In 2017, a Mississippi Delta School District agreed to merge two high schools after nearly 50 years of litigation in which the community sought to maintain historically black and white schools. Clark also stopped at Jackson State University for her two-day Southern Civil Rights Tour. See, this is one of those things, Michael, that people don't understand, that they think that all oh, 2020 we're long past that. The fact that you still are dealing with holding people accountable for Jim Crow era uh, segregation, and we're in 2023. Absolutely, Roland. And this is what a lot of black conservatives don't want to address because the white conservatives won't let them do it. Because then you have to admit that systemic racism exists. And then the next step would be okay, so what are you going to do about it? They're not going to do anything about it, so they pretend like it doesn't exist. And it's important for us to understand, really, what Brown versus Board of Education was about. It wasn't about white uh, African-American children being able to sit next to white children in the school so they can learn better. The, the real fight was we wanted equal uh, funding for our schools, just like white, uh, white children, white students have for their schools. The goal was not to send our children uh, and have them bust into hostile territories and the hostile schools and deal with teachers that didn't like them. We wanted equal funding. So here, this this fight still continues, and this is really understanding racism. But the it deals with the goal. It deals with the purpose of the Department of Justice when it was created in 1870 during Reconstruction, and it was primarily created to enforce the new rights that African Americans were given. Um. Matt, this also explains to people again why it's important who wins the White House, but that's who controls the Department of Justice. That's correct. And it also explains to people. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. That, you know, a lot of times we only get the tip of the iceberg in terms of litigation and its impact. But what's important about Brown that people may not know is that it was actually litigated in two parts, essentially. And the Supreme Court gave the edict to these states to desegregate with, quote, all deliberate speed. And what we're seeing is, like, more than 60 years later, that speed has not been deliberate or there at all. I mean, the fact that in 2017, you've got a Mississippi school district that is still actively fighting, desegregating, uh, following, you know, a litany of cases and decisions from years ago, ordering them to do so, shows you that there's, one, still a problem, and, two, a problem that needs to be addressed head-on. So that's good that uh, Kristen Clark and the Department of Justice are taking 
taking that on head on. And in fact, my understanding is this is a part of a Deep South tour that she's doing. So hopefully her team will continue to identify, you know, those issues that are persisting and continue going at them with all deliberate speed, because clearly these independent school districts have not done so. And we still have an issue many, many years later, well after the Supreme Court has laid down the law pretty clearly in this respect. Let's keep going to the east, uh, to Florida, where in Miami, a federal judge has, has sentenced the first person who was charged in connection with the assassination of a Haitian, Haitian president, Jovenel Moise, uh, in 2021. Haitian-Chilean businessman Rodolphe Jar got life in prison for his role in helping Colombia mercenaries, uh, Colombian mercenaries carry out the assassination. Jar is the first person to be convicted and sentenced in what the U.S. prosecutors describe as a broad plot by conspirators in Haiti and Florida to reap lucrative contracts under a new administration once Moise was out of the way. Jarb had previously been a U.S. government informant. He was convicted of drug trafficking a decade ago. In March, he pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder or kidnapping outside the United States and to providing material support resulting in death. Ten other defendants are awaiting trial in the United States. Uh, and this is, a, this is again, this is one of those reasons, Kelly, why, why Haiti continues to be destabilized uh, because of situations like this. Absolutely. And I'm sure Michael has the in entire history in his head regarding how Haiti got to be where it is. But it really is unfortunate when you have these external powers that be come into Haiti and destabilize for, you know, a litany of purposes. But um, the fact of the matter is, you know, things like this happen there because of external forces. So I'm glad that uh, justice in this respect has been served. But Haiti, as well as the world, has a long way to go as far as stabilizing this country. Uh, well, and uh, again, justice should be served. So hopefully uh, we will see more uh, prison sentences for those involved with the assassination. Uh, that is it for us. Uh, Kelly, uh, Matt, uh, Michael, I certainly appreciate you all joining us on today's show. Thank you so very much. Folks, uh, I will see you all on Monday. I'm back in the nation's capital, back in our studio. Uh, be there on Monday. But again, we're going to be in Jackson, Mississippi at the end of next week uh, for the for the Merle, for the Mega and Merle Everest Institute uh, for the 60th uh, annual commemoration of the assassination of Medgar Evers. So we will be there. Uh, but again, we want you to support us in what we do. Please download our app. Uh, again, a lot of times we have issues on YouTube and Facebook. Well, guess what? We own and control our app. That's why that's important. And so please support us there. Uh, of course, by downloading it, Apple, by Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. You can also, your dollars all also are critically important for us to do what we do. So please send your check and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zelle, Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And be sure to get a copy of my book, White Fear, How the Brownie of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Available at bookstores nationwide, including uh, getting it from Barnes & Noble, Target, Books A Million. Download your copy on Audible. Folks, I'll see y'all. Have a great, great weekend. See you next week. Holla!
Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.